Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it is a glorious and fearful thing to come into your presence this morning. We begin this new year with this incredible blessing of being able to gather and worship you as a people. And at the same time, we hear the word spoken by Joshua so many years ago that should cause us to pause and reflect upon the degree to which we faithfully serve you. We desire this morning, Lord, that you would be glorified. We want you to be known here in our midst this morning. We want to actually hear you speak. I know many years may be tired this morning, distracted. And so I ask that you would be gracious with each and every soul gathered here this morning that they might hear you. We ask as well, Father, that our love for Christ might increase, knowing that as we love him more and more each day, that we will be able to live this life that you've called us to live. Father, dwell amongst us now and make yourself known, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Strange being up here at the pulpit. Either the pulpit's shorter, I've gotten taller, I don't know which one. I don't think it's the latter. Joshua chapter 24, if you have your Bibles open, open to that chapter, please, for me. The title of the sermon is Resolute to Serve the Lord. You know, after not preaching for two months and desiring for the next several weeks to spend time on passages that strike me in my studies that I want to preach to you, this one kept coming up again and again. And I thought it fitting for a New Year's sermon. Some of you might not. Some of you might be thinking, you know, on I, I, the first day of the New Year, I want something light. I want something fluffy. Uh, that's not what God wanted me to preach on this morning. Um, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm preaching this to myself probably more than you. Serving the Lord's hard sometimes. Hmm. It's hard. Hard to stay the course. I want us to stay the course. So oftentimes, at the beginning of these new years, we, uh, we do funny things to people. We make these resolutions. You know, we think, okay, it's January 1. I'm going to do something different this year. I'm going to do things different this year. And, and oftentimes those desires are good. They're, they're right changes that we want to make. But more oftentimes than not, we realize we, we make the resolutions with our mouths, but they just don't make their way into a permanent change. I was reading on New Year's resolutions. A resolution is a commitment. It's a commitment, and so a New Year's resolution is a commitment in this year, 2017, to do something differently. 
or to not do something differently. One pollster listed these as the top 10 New Year's resolutions of 2017. Maybe yours is on here. Number one, be healthier. I say amen to that. Number two, take more chances. Not sure about that one. Number three, try new things. Number four, be content. Number five, give up a bad habit. Number six on the list was be more organized. Number seven, take control of your finances. Number eight, be more grateful. Number nine, volunteer. And number ten, stop procrastinating. Setting these goals to make real changes, good changes, isn't necessarily a bad thing. So I don't want to discourage you from that. But oftentimes what happens is we, in setting a New Year's resolution, we focus on the symptom rather than the source of the problem. And so we try to make a superficial change. You know, take striving to be healthier, for example. I mean, that's the number one on the list this year. And if you're not healthy, then it's a good thing to desire and work to be more healthy. But I think the larger question should be for us, why am I unhealthy? Is it a matter of ignorance? Is it, uh, is it a matter of, of poverty? Maybe it's depression or maybe it's a lack of contentment. That was number four on the list. Desiring to be content, I would also say, is a very good thing. But a better question is, why am I not content? Why is it that when we strive to make ourselves content with money or comfort or, or food or, or clothes, why doesn't it last? Why do I find myself making this same resolution year after year? So I would argue, and I think the scriptures would testify, that a good New Year's resolution is one that has lasting power because it deals with the core issues, the foundational principles that we live on. And that's what led me to Joshua chapter 24. In Joshua chapter 24, he's gathered the entire nation of Israel, all the leaders, to Shechem. And, and they're, they're renewing the covenant that God made with Moses. And he sets before the Israelites, I think, one of the most profound, if not the core resolution of life. And so I pray it makes it on your top ten list this year after this sermon. When we get to Joshua 24, the promise that God made to Abraham, one of the promises, was actually fulfilled. God said to Abraham back in Genesis 17, 8, he said to Abraham, I will give to you and to your offspring after you all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so after this incredible work by Yahweh, delivering the Israelites out of the hand of Pharaoh, sustaining them for 40 years in the desert, and then going before them and driving out all the people of the land, here they now sit in the promised land, and all the territories have been distributed, and all the tribes are going to their God-ordained place to live as a free people in a land given to them by God freely. And so Joshua, in his last public discourse before the entire nation, this is the last thing he has to say. He sets before them one salient, lifelong resolution and that is a commitment to serve the Lord. This whole sermon is on that, to serve the Lord. 
It is a resolution that would shape their future as a people. It is a resolution that will shape your future in 2017. And we could argue biblically will shape your future for all eternity. Serving the Lord. So let's do this. Let's look at these verses in three ways this morning. One, what is the resolution? What is it? Two, what is the problem with this resolution when we say it? And number three, where do we get the power to possibly live out such an extreme statement? For it is a most extreme statement. I want us to be able to make it this morning, and I want us to be able to keep it this morning by God's grace. Now, I've spent time preparing this sermon. You need to spend time in the next 40 minutes or so having your ears receive it. You must eat this morning. Amen? All right. I will give the plate. You need to pick up the fork and you need to eat. Let's look at the first one, the resolution, verses 14 and 15. So after, after Joshua recounts this incredible work of God going all the way back to Abraham and then through Moses, and now they hear they're in the promised land and the tribes are going to their own territories after this great recounting of the work of God. Look at verse 14. He says, Now therefore, therefore, in light of all this, he said, Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that are your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. And this is, my beloved, you've heard at least that last verse when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've heard this. It's a very popular verse to preach on. I'm not going to spend much time on it. It is the call to God's community throughout the centuries. It is the resolution above all other resolutions to serve the Lord. He says, fear the Lord and serve Him. And that fear is not a trembling fear. For the believer in Christ, it's not a fear of punishment. It's not a fear of discipline. It is a fear of awe and wonder that this God, so glorious, so powerful, so good and so merciful, would come and pour out these mercies on a people like us and like the Israelites, so unworthy, so undeserving. This is the fear that he would do this for us in light of our hatred and rebellion against him. The only right response to that is serving him. Serving him. What does that mean? And what does that phrase mean? To serve the Lord. When I hear the word serve, I think about doing something for someone else at my own expense. Right? It's going to cost me something. Oftentimes, I'll think about serving someone who is over me because if I don't serve that person, then there's discipline or there's punishment involved, and I don't want that, so I'll serve. As an unsaved child, and I would say as an unsaved young man, I served my parents, but it wasn't biblical service. It certainly wasn't with a joyful heart. I did it most of the time begrudgingly, and if I didn't do it begrudgingly, I expected them to give me something in return. This is not the kind of life-giving service that God calls us to as his people. God does not command us to serve him because he needs us to serve him. 
Paul makes this so clear in Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Listen, lest you be confused that God needs your service. God is not served by human hands, Paul said, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. In other words, God calls us to serve him joyfully that his name might be magnified here on earth, that he might be known If he doesn't need us to serve him, and he actually has to give us the desire and the ability to serve him, then the only reason he calls us to serve him is that we might know him as the treasure that he truly is. So that when people see us serving him joyfully in love, it will bring honor and glory to his name. They'll say, what kind of a God is this that creates a heart in people? to love him and serve him like this. To simply serve God because he has authority over us is not what God's getting at, although he could. Nor what he wants to reveal to a fallen world. Persuasion, my beloved, persuasion by raw power is what the world sees. Right? Dictators have been doing that for centuries and will continue until Christ comes. That's not what God is trying to show. John Piper put it like this. He said, there are ways to submit to God that only make him look threatening and not thrilling. There are ways to do what he says that only call attention to the fact that he is an authority and not a treasure. God wants us to serve him so that people might see his goodness and his love, the treasure that he really is, so that they might know him too as this glorious Savior and King. And that's why this resolution calls us to serve. Look at verse 14 with me. In sincerity and in faithfulness. So it's not just serving, it's serving with a sincere heart. And and that simply means with all of who you are, completely giving yourself to God, not undivided in any way. And then in faithfulness, in faith. What does that mean? How do I serve God in faith? That means relying upon God moment by moment, day by day, to give you the strength and the desire to serve Him. 1 Peter 4.11 Whoever serves, let it be as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see, my beloved, God's beauty is magnified in us most when we are serving Him by the grace and mercy that he's given us to serve. Not by your own might, but by his might. Not by your love or your mercy or your grace, but by the grace and mercy he's given to you. And so that you can say, all glory goes to him. It's because of Christ that I serve God. It's because of Christ that I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's because of Christ that I minister to the lost. This is why he calls us to it, that he might show us This day by day, trusting in Him. Serving in faith, knowing that He does protect, that He does provide, that that promise is true, that one day He will deliver us from this place and from our own sin. This is why Joshua tells the people, he says, put away the gods that are their fathers, put away the gods that their fathers had served beyond the river and in Egypt. He knows all these false gods that they bowed down to and all the false gods that we bow down to today have no power to save and no power to provide. So Joshua says, put them down, put them away. And this is the choice 
that's set before us, the same choice that Joshua set before the people at Shechem centuries ago is the same choice that is set before us by the living God this morning according to his word. Look with me at verse 15. It's such a powerful verse. Joshua said, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And these are the two choices and the only two choices we have. I want to make this as clear as I can. You either will wake up every day and you will choose to love and serve and follow God. The same God that delivered you from the ravages of your sin, that brought you out of your bondage, the same God that sustains your breath and gives you food to eat and clothes on your back and the ability to come to a church on, on New Year's Day and worship Him, the same God who promises to deliver you, to deliver you by Christ, the power of Christ, into His presence forever. Joshua says, serve this God so that His name might be glorified. That's choice number one. Choice number two, follow the other gods. And there are many. You can go follow them, but it's one or the other. In fact, when Joshua said it, he was saying with irony, did you notice this? He gives them two choices. You can follow the God of Abraham beyond the river, and that's the God that Abraham chose to leave and follow Yahweh. Or you can choose to follow the God of the Amorites in whose land, in whose land we now dwell. We conquered those gods too. So choose which false God do you want to follow. Which God that has no power do you want to follow? He says, pick. If not Yahweh, then it's one or the other. If not the one true living God. This resolution to serve the Lord, I think this is the hardest part about this passage. It's all or nothing. It's not serve Yahweh and serve the other gods. It's not serve the God of the Bible and my work or my family or my money. It's God or false gods. It's all or nothing. And so Joshua takes a stand on faith, and he makes it crystal clear before God and man. He says, as for me and as for my family, we will serve the Lord, period. That's the resolution. To serve the Lord in sincerity and in faith with all your heart and not compromise. You hear that, you say, that is the resolution. That's the resolution I want for my life. But we keep reading this passage and we realize there's a real problem with that. There's a problem with me saying it with my mouth. And a problem if you say yes, amen in your heart. Look at verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. They say that. I want you to hear there's, a, there's a, uh, an insincerity in it. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And who did those great, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed? And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And so they do an amazing thing here. They 
they rightly reject these false gods. And they say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Far be it. I mean, in light of all that he's done. And many of these people, they remember, right? They were young. Their, their parents died off in the desert. But they remember. At least they knew the stories of the great work that God did. The plagues that he brought upon Pharaoh to deliver them. And he saw day after day, they saw God providing food from the sky to feed them. And he saw God go before them and cast out all the people from the land of Canaan. And he saw him bring, they saw them bring the people in. And now they're going to this place, this land flowing with milk and honey. And they're going to places that already have homes. And they're going to places that already have uh, gardens and they already have fields that God just gave them. And so they recognize how foolish it is to follow these false gods who have no power. And they say with their mouths, we're going to serve this Lord joyfully because this is the right thing. And essentially they're making this life commitment because they realize it's good and it's right. And so they say boldly, look at the latter part of verse 18. They say boldly, therefore we also, aligning themselves with Joshua, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. And we read that and we go, yes, amen, Joshua's on board, the people are on board, finally they're going to get it right. Don't read the book of Judges. What did they not understand? What did they not understand? They did not understand, my beloved, what many who have gathered this New Year's Day in churches throughout the world do not understand. I would argue millions of people in churches this morning making this same New Year's pledge to serve the Lord, not understanding who this God is, the character and nature of this God to whom we pledge our lives. We do not understand that He is good and we are not. We do not understand that He is holy through and through, and we are unholy through and through. We do not understand or we don't want to recognize that He is righteous and we are sinful, that He is faithful and we are unfaithful. This is God that we're talking about. This is the Holy One of Israel. This is the Maker of the heavens and the earth to whom we are making this pledge to serve with all of our heart, He demands and He deserves complete and total allegiance from any and all who call Him our God. How many? How many professing believers are in church today with a hangover? Too much excess on New Year's Eve. How many? How many will fail to gather this first day, this first Lord's Day of 2017? How many will fail to gather this day because they're too tired or because they've made other plans, worldly plans, on this day that the Lord has made and called us to gather? Joshua said, look at verse 19. He said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Joshua knows his kindred well. 
It was only Joshua and Caleb who came out of the spying and said, hey, we should take the land. Everybody else said, no, let's not go. Joshua knew these people well. He remembers the grumbling. He remembers the golden calf. He remembers the rebellion by Korah. He remembers the grumbling, grumbling at Meribah. Most of all, though, I believe that Joshua knows himself. I think Joshua knows his own heart. And he knows the inclination of the heart to serve self and not God. To glorify self and not God. He understood, I think, better than most in his day, that apart from God coming in with a Savior and turning our hearts from death to life and making us new again, being born again, apart from that saving faith, we are and we remain self-serving creatures. And we create our own idols. We create our own little gods and we bow down to them because they justify and rationalize and condone our sin. And that's why we're so faithful to them. That's why we follow them. Because they tell us everything's okay. The people did not understand that this God they claimed to be their own. They said, we will serve. This is our God. That he's holy. Holy meaning what? Set apart. Completely pure. Completely righteous. Like no other. When we say, when we talk about holy, holy, holy is the God Almighty. Holy is he. We're talking about Someone who is so completely and radically unlike us in every way that even the statement should cause a bit of fear. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is pure in every way. He is good in every way. All that he is and all that he does, all that he says is perfectly right. How many days have you had like that? How many days have you had every thought, every word, every action, right on? In my prayers last week, in my confession, I thought, Lord, can I have an hour? Can I get an hour of not just stumbling and falling miserably in my heart and mind? Can I get an hour? I can't get an hour. They did not see that Yahweh is a jealous God. He created everything to worship Him. He will give his glory to no one. All human beings, saved and unsaved, all those created in the image of God are to worship him because he is God. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share his glory with an imposter. He's not going to allow these these small g gods, these idols, to steal from him what rightly belongs to him. They did not understand that God would not and cannot forgive their sins unless there is just payment. He can't. He can't wink at sin. He can't just turn away from it. He's good and he's just, and therefore every sin must be punished permanently. Joshua knew the heart of men well, and he knew the God whom he served. And God had revealed to him that his holiness and our sinfulness cannot cohabitate in an intimate relationship now and for eternity. Cannot. This was made known, even though they said, we will serve the Lord, this 
incompatibility was made known in a few short years. You finish Joshua chapter 24, that's the last chapter in the book, and you pick up the next book in the book of Judges, and that continues after Joshua's death. And we don't get to chapter 2, verse 11, and this is what is said. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, the false gods. That didn't last long, did it? It did not last long. These are the same people that stood at Shechem, renewing the covenant, and they said with their mouths, they declared with their mouths the glories of God, and they said with their mouths, we will serve the Lord. And in a matter of years, what were they doing? Evil in the sight of the God and serving the Baals. And so Joshua warned them, look at verse 20. He said, if you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he, God, will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. The history says otherwise. The entire book of Judges is a cycle of their turning and serving false gods. We get to the kingdom and how quickly the kingdom is divided. And then the northern kingdom falls in 722 the Assyrians. Not many years later in 586 the Babylonians take the southern kingdom and all of Israel is now gone. Gone. We haven't even made it to Christ and they failed to serve the Lord. How many my beloved of us, how many professing believers make the same resolution and experience the same failure Unable to serve the Lord. Not remaining faithful, but turning and serving. That means turning and giving ourselves to other gods. Joshua said, if you do that, now listen. If you do that, if you turn from Christ and you serve other gods, Joshua said, God will harm you and he will consume you. In the Hebrew, that's bring injury and affliction that is complete. It's a description of hell. It's eternal punishment. Here is the same warning. It's the same warning that's been going out to God's people for centuries. If we do not serve Christ, if we do not follow Christ, if we turn to the gods beyond the river, or if we turn to the gods of this culture and we serve them, God will turn and God will consume you. This is the God whom we call on. Even after he's done, it says so much good. Did you notice that? I mean, we're bathed in common grace. We're bathed in common grace. We don't live in Aleppo. We're bathed in common grace. And we, of all people, we have the Bible. We have the revelation of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ, the Savior. We, of all people, have been bathed in specific supernatural revelation. God says, listen, be careful. Be careful, because even after all that good that I've shown you, if you bow down and you serve other gods, I will turn and I will inflict injury upon you and I will consume you. I can see some of your eyes are saying, that's not the God that I know. Get to know that God. That's the God of the Bible. He is a jealous God. He demands complete and total allegiance with your heart and mind to Him. They refuse to listen, and they say brazenly, no, but we will serve the Lord. And they restate their resolution, their New Year's, their life resolution, we'll serve the Lord. 
so we have the resolution to serve the Lord. We have the problem. The problem is real simple. God is a perfectly holy and just God, and we are fallen people. That's a problem. We make that resolution with our mouths, and we are no more able to follow through with that by our own might and our own strength than the Israelites were. And if you're not a historian, you say, well, I don't know what the problem is. Read the history of Israel, and you will see the problem. Apart from God doing this great work in us, we cannot do it. You cannot serve God apart from God serving in you. So let's get to the power. Whatever's on your New Year's resolution, I pray that you say, I want that to be on it. I pray you say, I want that to be first. I want to serve the Lord. I want 2017 to be a year where I can look back, let's say 20 years from now, on my journey with Christ, and, and you can say, and maybe we can say as a church, this year, we really started serving the Lord. This year. I want that. I want that for my life and my family and for our church. I want that. And that's a good desire. How do we not end up harmed and consumed? How do we end up not being the ultimate of hypocrites, making the statement, and then just like the Israelites in the book of Judges, turning and doing evil against God and submitting to the idols of our day? How do we do that? Look at verses 22 and following. Joshua has such compassion. He said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And then they say, we are witnesses. Verse 23, he said, and here it is. He said, all right, all right, all right. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart, bend your heart, bow your heart down to God. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. He calls them out. He says, you are witnesses. And they say, we are witnesses. My beloved, when you read this, when you read verse 24, and they said, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice will we obey, did it not reckon you back to baptism? Did you not read that and find yourself standing wet in a pool somewhere before God's people, making a profession of faith to love God and serve God all your days? Do you remember that day? Do you remember that public profession that you made in the name of Christ by faith? Do you remember that? your desire to serve Him and to obey Him. We're not different from the people of Israel. And I, I would argue, if you are honest with yourself, you would argue as well and, and state plainly that most of us have failed in this. That we have been just like the Israelites. We have done evil in the sight of our Lord and we have bowed down to these false gods. We have made work, some of us leisure, the gods whom we worship. Some of us have made, have made our families and our friends the gods whom we serve. Some success, some knowledge, some popularity, some comfort. These are all the false gods and so many more that vie for our attention and our affection. And we've made them, we've placed greater importance upon them than we have serving God. Now be very careful here. Most of us don't say, Yahweh, Jesus, I'm putting you away and I'm going to bow down to the God of comfort and I'm going to live to please myself, to sleep when I want to sleep and eat when I want to eat and, and work when I want to work. Most of us don't do that. We try to hang on to both. 
and we say, I'm going to serve Christ, and I'm going to serve comfort. And what happens is one is bumped up above the other for most of us. God is a jealous God. He will not allow that if you belong to Him. This commitment to serve the Lord in sincerity and in faith all of our days, it's impossible for you. It's impossible for you. You say, well, why are you telling us to do it? Why is God commanding us the impossible? Because what is impossible for you is not impossible for God. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus encounters a rich young man. Most of you know this story well. He comes up to Christ and he asks the Lord a question. Listen to his question. He says, teacher, the man said, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, what do I need to do to be saved? What good work, what resolution ought I make so that I can come in to the presence of God for all eternity? And he thinks himself sufficient for the task. He thinks that within himself he has the ability or the power to do what is right by God, to serve God faithfully and enter the presence of this thrice holy God. Jesus said to him, if you would enter life, he said, keep the commandments. Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now listen, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, he doesn't mean perfect in your living, he says, if you want to be fit for the kingdom, if you want to be able to come into the presence of a holy God and dwell with Him and dwell with me and the Holy Spirit for eternity, if you would be perfect, He said, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And so what did Christ do? He says, there's an idol in your life. There's a God in your life that's bigger than my God. And it was money for this man. It's not money for all of us. But there are idols that are there and they're dwelling there. This man, he said, listen, go take all of your money, sell it, give it to the poor, and then what? And then come and follow me, and you'll have eternal life. Why? Because you'll have Christ, and you'll have the Father. And remember what John said, that is eternal life. It's the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's having them. It's knowing them. It's being known by them as children. We're told in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, filled with sorrow, for he had great possessions. Now listen to what Christ says to the disciples. Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this was a righteous man. And so he, the disciples, are now flummoxed. They thought, listen to what they say. The disciples heard this and they were greatly astonished. They were disturbed, saying, who then can be saved? If this guy can't get in, I mean, this guy was good. Christ lists off the commandments and he says, did it, did it, did it, doing it well. And you know what Christ doesn't say? Oh, no, you're not. He agrees. This man was a holy man. He was a righteous man, but not fit for the kingdom. And so the disciples said, well, then who can be saved? If he can't, we can't. And then Christ says this. He says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. What is impossible? Salvation is impossible for you. Serving God faithfully is impossible for you. 
But, Christ said, with God, all things are possible. My beloved, it is impossible for sinful men and sinful women like us to serve God faithfully all our days. It's impossible for us. Every moment of every day. But it's not impossible for God, and it was not impossible for Christ. When Christ came and became a man, he was tempted, if you remember, by Satan in the desert following his baptism, and he reiterated Joshua's resolution. This is what he said. Listen, in Matthew chapter 4, we're told that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And Jesus did. He did. Every moment of every day, by faith, Jesus Christ served God with a sincere and pure heart, remaining faithful to his last breath. Now, he was offered by Satan the very kingdom that God was going to give him. Remember, God had given it to Satan, and Satan could give it to Christ. But there was a condition. Satan says, I'm going to give you all this. You don't... You know what? You don't need to go through the cross. You don't need to bear the sins of many. You don't need to experience the agony of God pouring out his full wrath upon you for the sins of the children who will be saved. You don't have to do that. He says, just just bow down and, and worship me, and it's all yours. It's all yours. Christ refused. Christ knew Joshua 24, verse 23. Look again at your Bibles. He put away, Joshua told us, as as Christ did, he put away the foreign gods that were among him. He said to Satan, what, be gone, not going to bow down, and incline his heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And he did that. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this is what Christ did. Christ did the impossible for us. Because it's impossible for us to do it, Christ did it for us, and then he imparts that to us freely so that we can have eternal life. We know this as substitutionary atonement. This is the great work that he did. You remember in in John chapter 11, I pray you do, when Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the great resolution that Christ made before man. If you believe in me, you will live. Not only did he make that, but he kept it by being delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. And that's why I will say to you, and I know most of you believe this, Jesus Christ is your only hope. He's your only hope. You want to make a New Year's resolution, and this is a great resolution. You want to say, this year, I'm going to serve the Lord in sincerity and in faith. I'm going to walk moment by moment by his strength, and I'm going to receive the joy and the power to do that work. If you desire to make that resolution, Jesus Christ is your only hope of not being harmed and not being consumed, but actually having eternal life and living that life out now. He's your only hope. God gives us this great gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Gives that to us by trusting in the perfect, finished work of the Savior. Jesus lived 33 plus years. Every single moment of every day of his life, 
he served the Lord in sincerity and in faith. He did it. He did the impossible as a man. And then by faith, this grace that he gives to us is this perfection. So in Christ, you can. In Christ, your record is perfect service. You realize that. You're going to come before God. And he's going to say, how did you do? And you say, well, Christ did it perfectly. And that's yours too. So I want you to hear the words of Joshua, and I'll close. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord. Look at verse 23 again, please. Look at it. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord. If you know Christ and you've been saved by grace and you've you've surrendered your life to him, then hear what Joshua is saying to the people and to himself. Put away these foreign gods. That means, my beloved, remove those desires and, and that's where they are. They're in the heart. It's these desires that are vying for the ultimate desire, which should be God. It's these these idols, and we talk about idols, and we think of graven images and carved figurines, but the idols in your life, I would argue, are not. Most of your idols are the good things that God has blessed you with that you've made inordinate. You've put them where they ought not be, and you've brought God down to where he ought not be. Put them away. Go after them. If there's anything right now, at this moment, that you are longing for and yearning for in a way that leads you to be dissatisfied in Christ, that's an idol. If there's any desire, any passion that you have that is vying for the desire and passion that Christ desires most, that's an idol. He says, put them away before you are harmed and destroyed. Put them away, and then what? Incline our hearts to the Lord. You know, in the Hebrew, that literally means to bend, to bend or to bow. So your heart, take your heart and bow it to the Lord, submit it to to God, incline it to God. That means you want to make Him the utmost in your life. You want to make God number one. You want Him to captivate you more than anything else. You want to hear his voice above all of the voices. You want to cultivate and develop an intimate, personal relationship with the living God. He's not a small g, false God, real God, real person, real power. When your heart is bowed toward God in love, you know what will happen? When you continue to submit yourself to God in love, those desires, those fleshly desires, those idols... You'll turn from them. You will. Christ turned from Satan. He rejected the offer because he loved God most. It's the same for us. You will desire to serve God more than you will desire to serve the idols. And that's where the battle's won. My beloved, it's not as though there'll be no temptation. The question is, in the midst of the temptation, to whom do you turn? God or the idol? God or the flesh? Our meditations go a long way in determining the inclination, the bowing of our hearts. Husbands, if you think about your wives more often than you do in a biblical manner, I would argue that you'll be more apt to love her as Christ loves the church. Wives, for you, if you think of your husbands as the the glorious covering that God has given you, I would argue 
that you be more inclined to serve him as the helpmate that you've been called and equipped to than you are right now. Bend your heart towards God. Bend it in prayer daily. Bend it by spending time in the Word. Bend it by gathering in community. Bend it by engaging in service with your hands and feet. Bend your heart towards God, and He will deliver you from these idols. This is the resolution that I want for us this year, Cambrian Park Baptist Church, to fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. This is the resolution, my beloved, I don't want you to get rid of the rest that you have because some of you have some good ones. Some of you have shared them with me. But this is the resolution that will help overcome all the other resolutions. It will actually become the undergirding and the foundation upon which you strive to be the person that God has called you to be. You see, when you trust in Christ, you come into his kingdom, you enjoy his blessings, and you receive power. Did you hear that? I know many of you feel powerless to overcome things. You receive power in Christ to exercise the very resolutions that are good for you. How many of you want to be healthier this year? Nobody. Okay, we're a healthy church. Some of you, I'm assured, do. Instead of wanting to be healthier to look better or to be healthier so you can live longer and have more fun, If your ultimate resolution is to serve the Lord, then you will desire to be healthier so you can live longer and serve Him longer. Most of you know that I exercise regularly. I hate it. I do. I have to drag myself to exercise now. When I was young, I enjoyed it. When I was a little older, I tolerated it. Now I loathe it. Why do I do it? Why do I do it? One time I was working out with my oldest son and I was complaining. And he says, but we do it to serve God longer. He goes, so that we can serve God longer here. I'm like, I'm ashamed. Because he was right. And And I know that. I know that. So I have more years to serve Christ faithfully on earth as long as he gives me. Some of you are striving to be more content so that you can stop chasing after all those things that you think, if I get it, I'll be happy not going to be that thing. It won't. If Christ, if you're satisfied in Christ, you know, you, then you can go and enjoy all the blessings that God gives you, your marriage, a good meal, a piece of music, a baseball game, and be free in doing that. There's such great freedom in being satisfied in Christ because that marriage or that meal or that game won't define you any longer. Your identity is in Christ. You're satisfied in Christ, and therefore you can take it or you can leave it. Resolution number seven was take control of your finances. Not so you can live a lavish life of retirement and play bocce and golf for the rest of your life, but to be a faithful steward using God's money as he has given you to further his kingdom. Resolution number nine, to volunteer, to volunteer more. How wonderful. If God gives you the desire to use your time and your your money and your energy to go and minister to people who are in need, not because you feel guilty and not because it makes you feel good, but you serve in that capacity joyfully because Christ volunteered himself by taking all of your sins upon himself so that you might be set free and live to serve and volunteer with sincerity and love. How glorious if that were the motivation of the heart. 
whom we're called to serve. All right. I will say to you as Joshua did, as he said to the Israelites centuries ago, here is, whether you like it or not, your New Year's resolution for 2017. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we know for your spirit testifies that this is impossible for us. You've called us to do that which we cannot do so that we might trust in Christ. I pray for my brothers and sisters and I pray for myself that we would, Lord, serve you. And we would do it not by our own strength but by the power and the desires that you give us. We ask, Lord, that you would make 2017 a year where Cambrian Park is known as a people who love and serve the Lord. And it is known to the saved and unsaved that we do this because you've given us the power and desire to do so and therefore you are magnified and you are lifted up in our service. Father, increase our desire and ability to trust in Christ and not ourselves, to walk moment by moment, faith by faith in Him. I ask for your blessings upon our church and your church throughout the world this morning as we gather as a people in the many nations with many languages on this first day of 2017. And we ask, Father, that you would make yourself known this year in ways that you haven't before. We might see the mercy and the love and grace that goes out from our hands we might see the impact here in this community in Cambrian Park and in San Jose, that you might do a mighty work among us. We praise you for the work that you have done in Christ, that you are doing in Christ, and that you promise to do in Christ when he comes again in glory. I pray for blessings upon my brothers and sisters, that you would bless them immeasurably with your grace and love, that you would increase their faith immeasurably, that you would grow their love for Christ, and they would desire above all else, to serve you only. And I ask these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.